Welcome into the Ideas Have Consequences YouTube Live Q&A event with me, Larry Alex Taunton. We're delighted to have you again. I enjoy doing these because I enjoy engaging directly with you as much as possible. Uh, we've collected a number of questions from across uh, various social media platforms, but you can still post questions. We have guys here offset and also in Dallas who are collecting those questions and who will be sending them to the questioner, Zachary, who is over here um, just off camera, and you should be able to hear some of those. But today we're talking about Bill Gates. Bill Gates. And um, I hope that most of you have seen the podcast that we put out just a few days ago. I guess it was I don't know, maybe, maybe Friday that we dropped that podcast about Bill Gates and who Bill Gates is. Now, as I have been saying on most of these podcasts, I'm not chasing a lot of rabbits uh, to try to search out answers to things for which I'm not sure there really are answers. Rather, I want to stay on um, the, the main trail. And by the way, just have to throw this in. I think I've come up with a name for those of you who are followers, subscribers to this podcast, regular um, posters in the, uh, in the comments. A lot of you have made, I, I said that I wanted some suggestions for what I call you. And um, a woman, she gave me the idea. You know, I've had Tontonians, Tontonites, um, all kinds of interesting suggestions. But here's the, here's the one that I think is the winner. Uh, this woman, Regina Ford, she posted this in the comments. I hope you're, you're watching, Regina. She says, thanks, Larry, for being the dust cloud. I'm galloping along with you. I enjoy Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid movie. Thanks for what you're providing from a biblical worldview. What she's talking about is in the podcast, I had said that when it came to conspiracy theories, I wasn't following false trails. I was just going to be like the posse that is following Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in that movie, the old Western with, with um, Robert Redford and Paul Newman, where they keep saying, hey, who are those guys who are following us? Because those guys wouldn't be distracted from the real trail. They just kept asking, who are those guys? And uh, so I think I'm going to call you the posse. I'm going to call you the posse. Uh, that's, a, that's a great name for those of you uh, because you're riding along with me and together on every podcast, we're chasing down the truth. And when it comes to Bill Gates, you have to bear in mind that Bill Gates has given a lot of money to various media organizations. And as I said in the podcast on Bill Gates, um, you can't even track all of the money. There's a lot of dark money. We know that he's given, you know, a quarter of a quarter of a billion dollars to um, to various media outlets. That part is is recorded, but there's a lot of dark money that he can give through contracts for which he doesn't have to disclose where that money is going. And um, Jacobin Magazine, uh, they say that they suspect that the money is way, way north of a quarter of a billion dollars. So when you see fact checks in USA Today and Reuters and BBC and elsewhere that seem to be running interference for Bill Gates, I bet you that it is coming from media sources that have received money from Bill Gates. Otherwise, you know, what, what would be their motive, uh, motive in doing it? Um, as for Bill Gates, his primary agenda... Uh, as I have said in that podcast, it is, it is population control. 
uh, he will give it another, you know, another nice terminology. They will use, as I say, the word sustainability. Watch that word. Nothing good comes after the word sustainability. And uh, so they will say things like population sustainability, global sustainability, environmental sustainability, um, energy sustainability. Sustainability is the word that hides a globalist, leftist, radical leftist agenda. Bill Gates, he's involved in quite a few nefarious things, and indeed, I think he is a nefarious character. But what I demonstrate in that podcast, in his own words, his own words, I want to stress, not making anything up here, um, that Bill Gates is very big on population control. Now, I've seen some of you who say that Bill Gates, his father, you know, was the uh, was the the head of Planned Parenthood. Not true. His father was involved in eugenics. Not true. His father, his father was a very successful um, attorney, um, but his father was on the board of Planned Parenthood in Seattle. So obviously, this is a this is a worldview that to some extent he has inherited. But I don't know to what extent we do or don't blame his parents. And again, I, I really don't want to get too caught up in in what moms and dads were or weren't doing. I want to focus on. I like what uh, <laughs> I like what Abraham Lincoln said when someone asked him a question about his grandfather. He says, "I'm less." less concerned with who my grandfather was than with who his grandson will be. And I am more concerned with who Bill Gates is rather than who his father or his grandfather or whoever was. Bill Gates is a guy who is all about population control, population sustainability, which really is about depopulation. Now, the way he hides this is he says that, you know, we are all about as we show you in one of his own videos. And by the way, the fact that it's one of his own videos is very significant. And it's because, as I have said to you, it's one thing in a Q&A like this. I'm very sympathetic with people who on live tele television or on stage or something like that misspeak. It's easy to do that. I do this long enough on uh, YouTube Lives, I'll end up saying something that I didn't mean to say or I'll misspeak or I'll, you know, whatever. It's just, uh, it's just inevitable. When you speak as much as, you know, someone who is a public speaker or does a lot of uh, public speaking can and will do. But when it's your own video that you are scripting, that you are carefully editing, that does not go out and get posted on places like YouTube until you say, yes, I like that. That tells us quite a lot. And uh, Bill Gates' video on uh, that's from the Gates Foundation that's on population uh, sustainability, uh, they've given it a title, something like that, is to me very telling because the kind of language that he uses in the video is interesting. He says this, so Melinda and I wonder whether providing new medicines and keeping children alive, would that create more of a population problem? The way you even ask the question to me is interesting because it's not the way normal people think. I don't, I don't think that when I'm seeking to help a drowning man that the first question that comes to my mind is whether or not this will lead to a, a problem in population sustainability. My first question isn't whether or not I should let him drown. My first question when I 
I meet a man who is hungry as not whether feeding him will lead to some other kind of problem. But you see, this is utilitarian thinking. This is the way utilitarians think. Now, someone had asked in the questions, do I think he had read John Stuart Mill? You know, maybe the most famous of all utilitarians. I don't know, uh, possibly. Um, and, um, you know, or, you know, John Stuart Mill took a lot of his ideas from Jeremy Bentham. Uh, has Bill Gates read Jeremy Bentham? I, I, I don't know. He might have if he graduated from college, but he didn't. Um, but as I said in that podcast, he undoubtedly read Peter Singer. And Peter Singer is the most famous, uh, the most prominent of modern day utilitarians. Uh, utilitarians are, by definition, atheists. I mean, you can't be consistently a utilitarian and be a Christian or a Muslim or, or um, an Orthodox Jew. You just simply can't, you can't be that. You claim you are, but you're inconsistent with one or the other. It's like saying you're a Yankees fan and you're a devoted Red Sox fan. At some point, those two collide, and uh, you can't be consistently both. Um, but here's what I discovered after we did that podcast. I had talked about Peter Singer. Peter Singer is is professor of bioethics at Princeton University. His books are being used in medical schools all around the world. And Peter Singer is the most radical uh, utilitarian, prominent utilitarian thinking in the world right now, and certainly the most influential. He wrote a book in 1975 called Animal Liberation. That book, he's the father of the animal rights movement. <clears throat> Excuse me, I know Peter. And uh, we've done a couple of debates with him, one at Princeton University and one in his hometown of, of Melbourne, Australia. I've, I've lunched with him a couple of times. He's, uh, he is an, an interesting guy, but he's the most consistent atheist I've ever met. He's willing to follow his atheism out to its logical conclusion. And that logical conclusion, by the way, if you're an atheist, I'm not saying that this is what you believe. I'm saying that if you force atheism to its logical conclusion, you must conclude that human beings have no more value than any other animal on the face of the earth. You must conclude that the idea that human beings are the objects of special creation, that they were made in the image of God, is a Judeo-Christian you know, hangover, that it just simply isn't true, and that my life or your life has no more meaning, no more intrinsic value than that of the ant. It just doesn't. And Singer is willing to follow it to that conclusion. And that leads him to a place where he believes that um, those individuals who are a drain on resources, we need to bump them off. Singer is of the view, my daughter Sasha is sitting off camera over here. She has brought our very lovely um, granddaughter uh, to see us. And um, imagine this as I'm looking at that beautiful little girl, you know, Abby Kate. Um, what a beautiful child she is. Singer is of the view that Sasha, as a mother, should have gotten 28 days to decide whether or not to keep Abby Kate or to kill her, to euthanize her. What do you think of that? It's an evil philosophy. It's very evil. That's what he believes. That's how much he thinks about human life. And I've since discovered, you know, I was out riding my bicycle and I was thinking, about how Bill Gates is a utilitarian and how he must have a connection with Peter Singer. And so I stopped on my bike, got my phone out, and I did a quick Google search. Guess what? They do have a connection. Bill Gates wrote the foreword to one of Peter Singer's books. 
So the connection is there, probably giving them money as well. This is the way these people think. And Bill Gates is a guy who, what he does, if you watch him in these interviews, he will say, he, he will make the worst kinds of arguments that are essentially emotional appeals. You, if you watch our podcast on Bill Gates, you will see a video where we show you Bill Gates is there saying, well, you know, um, we have this problem. We're going to have to lay off 100,000 teachers because we have pension generosity. We're giving too much in pensions to teachers. I mean, here's a guy who's worth roughly $125 billion, but he thinks you make too much money. And he says, and, um, you know, healthcare costs, we're giving so much money to keeping alive old people. That just shouldn't happen, says Singer. He says, so our choice is either we allow grandma to die or we keep these 100,000 teachers employed. And frankly, he's of the view we keep the teachers employed. But, but I want you to think about the argument here. He gives you this false forced choice dilemma. It's Sophie's choice. I have to choose which one of my children gets to live. You know, I have to choose whether or not we keep, whether or not we uh, keep a teachers employed and thus save the futures of our children or whether or not I keep grandma alive and sacrifice the futures of our children. It's a, it's a silly argument because it's a false choice. But to show you how ridiculous it is, I figured out that the hundred thousand, I just crunched some numbers on this, and the average teacher salary in America is about $57,000. Bill Gates could, if he was serious about keeping those teachers employed, Bill Gates could keep all 100,000 of those teachers employed single-handedly and pay them a little extra, $60,000 apiece annually. He could keep all 100,000 of them employed indefinitely at a mere cost of $6 billion a year to him. $6 billion a year is a lot to me. Not to him, not even 10% of his income not even what a Christian would consider to be a proper tithe. Point being, he's a complete hypocrite. Here's a guy who's saying on the one hand, we have, to, we, 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 we have to keep these teachers employed or, you know, our children, their futures will be sacrificed. We cannot allow these people to remain alive who are, you know, who are on, their, on death's door anyway. And um, so he talks about something called death panels. Death panels are, are just that. They're, they're a committee that essentially determines whether or not you get the medication you need in order to stay alive. I want to make a, a modest um, retraction in something I said on that podcast. I showed you a video of a woman whose name has escaped me, but she is a... Um, she, it, it's, a, it's an advertisement by a fashion company in Canada called Simmons. And Simmons put out this ad that has nothing to do with fashion. It's about um, a um, Canadian governmental program called MAID. I say MAIDs in the podcast. It's actually not MAIDs. It's 
MADE, singular, um, and that stands for Medical Assistance in Dying. It sounds so harmless, but MADE. And um, the, the advertisement, which you'll see in that, that podcast, shows her, you know, talking about how wonderful life is. And uh, when she thinks about life, she thinks about bubbles, she thinks about music, she thinks about, you know, laughter and all this kind of stuff. And then the end of the commercial, it tells you she killed herself. And the commercial is set up in such a way to make it seem like this is a really, really wonderful thing. Well, it's part of something that in Canada is called MADE, Medical Assistance in Dying. What I've since discovered since talking about that on the podcast is this particular woman who kills herself, she actually had applied, I am told, at least her friends say that this is the case, she, she says that she killed herself because she chose medical assistance in dying because she suffered from a kind of um, connective tissue disorder that caused her a lot of pain. I don't know if it was lupus or exactly what it was, but it was something that caused her a lot of pain. And she said that, um, you know, she couldn't live with that pain. And so she chose to, to commit suicide with the assistance of the Canadian government. What I've since discovered is that she was seeking medical help in, as a part of Canada's socialized medicine, and they denied it to her. She didn't get it. So she wasn't getting, as I understand it, she wasn't getting the, the uh, medication and treatment she deserved, the um, pain medications that she, she needed. So what she did was she turned around and she applied with the Canadian government. So it's the Canadian government that turned her down for the medication she needed, but now she applied to the Canadian government to be a part of MADE, Medical Assistance in Dying. And they accepted her into the program. And they killed her at her request. And it was beautiful. See, that's the way they want to position it. They want to try to change the narrative on everything. They want to change the narrative on sexuality, <clears throat> on abortion, that abortion is beautiful. Shout your abortion. Go look that up. There's a website called Shout Your Abortion. They use words like celebrate for abortion. Celebrate it. Celebrate killing your children. See how perverse this is. Celebrate killing yourself. I was surrounded by my friends as I killed myself. It's awful. It's evil. But this is the kind of stuff that Bill Gates is up to his neck in. Melinda Gates, they are divorced, but the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation still exists, and they're, they're both partakers in it, they both make use of it. Melinda Gates gave something like a whopping $250 million recently, I think in the last year or so, to Planned Parenthood. So as you can see, this is a theme with them. And they've given way more than that to global equivalents of Planned Parenthood. These are people who are very clear on their mission, decrease the surplus population. It's interesting because... Um, that line, do you know what that line comes from? Decrease the surplus population? A Christmas carol. It comes from A Christmas Carol. It is actually in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And it reappears in, you know, I don't know how many times that, that has been made into movies and, you know, the Muppet Christmas Carol and all that. But it is a theme that comes up, you know, where before his conversion, and in the book, by the way, it is a Christian conversion. They, they've utterly secularized it in, uh, in almost all the movies. But 
before his conversion, when this, this group comes around seeking alms, seeking um, donations for the poor, Scrooge says to them, you know, let them, let them go into the, are there no prisons? Are there no poor houses? Let them die and decrease the surplus population. It was roughly the time of Charles Dickens that this became a major theme, and it became a major theme as a result of the writing of Thomas Malthus, a British writer who wrote, I think the book was called On... Maybe I shouldn't call it a book because I think his actual title was An Essay on Population. So you'd probably say it was an essay, not a book, but that was published in the 1790s. That was, that was after A Christmas Carol was written. But nonetheless, the, the point is these ideas were, were in circulation in the second half of the 18th century in Britain, and, um, and they just have carried on. There's, there's, it seems to be every so often there rises up this, you know, like the mythical hydra, this, this head pops up that says there are too many people on the planet and we need to off some of them. The consistent theme of all of these people is they do not offer to off themselves. Bill Gates, I don't think he's applied for MAID. I don't think he's made application for medical assistance in dying. He just wants that for you. And again, if you watch the podcast, you can see that this is in his own words. We're not making up anything here, ladies and gentlemen. So now I'll begin taking some of your questions. I look forward to hearing from you, um, the posse, and seeing what all you have to say. What do you think motivates a guy like Bill Gates? Is it some effort in immortality? What is it? Um, you know, it's a very, very interesting thing. I know, some, I know uh, a number of people who are... are otherworldly wealthy, you know, so not just, you know, having a few million dollars, but, but um, otherworldly wealthy. I think part of it is just the fact that we're teleological beings. God, God created us that way, um, meaning we are, we're purposeful. We need purpose. Um, I have a hard time picturing myself in retirement. If I'm an Alabama football fan, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Nick Saban is in his 70s, and um, he was recently asked when he planned to retire, and he said he, he, can't, he can't envision himself re being retired because he just wouldn't know what to do with himself. He doesn't have purpose outside of that. Now, there are plenty of people who find other hobbies and, and things to do, but the fact is, I think most of us in our mind, we think, oh, I'd love to be on a, you know, on a beach perpetually you know, sipping Mai Tais. I, I would go nuts. I, I like a vacation for you know, a couple of weeks, and then I'm ready to get back to work. I, I want something to do, and even, as you would know, even in many of my vacations, I'm thinking about my work. <laughs> Um, because I like my work. I, I like what I do. So we're teleological beings. That in and of itself is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The problem is when you're not a Christian, you very frequently drop anchor in the wrong purpose. You find the wrong direction. You pursue something that isn't a good thing. So your purpose might be found in you know, constant parties. Your purpose might be found in having sex with as many women as you can, David Portnoy, or your purpose might be found uh, in getting involved in some kind of vague altruism that, you know, sort of helps the planet. I think this is Bill Gates. And, and, and the problem there is that Gates is 
he, he's grown up on the left coast. We call it that for a reason. It's, it's, it's more godless than Japan. I think there are more evangelicals. I think I saw this statistic once, that there are more evangelicals in Japan than there are in Seattle or Connecticut. You know, so very few, point being. And so he's grown up in this ethos of godlessness and his worldview is godless as a result. And he has found his purpose in something that in his mind is good, but isn't. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, for a moment, for just a second, Elon Musk is, if he's not one of the most, if he's not the, the wealthiest person in the world, he's one of them. Is he retired? No, he's constantly looking for new worlds to conquer. You know, I'm building this, I'm building that, I'm doing this, I'm buying that. It's, it's part of what keeps him going. Um, I would say he's found better purposes for his time than has Bill Gates or let's say, um, you know, who's, uh, who's another one out there, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, but still, um, these guys have, have the money that they can employ it for good or they can employ it for evil. Um, and uh, and that's, that's what we see. Okay, so that, that last question there, by the way, was from Benny. Um, as a follow-up to that question. Betty or Benny? Benny. Okay. Benny. So Thank a follow-up to that question is, why does it seem like the, the ultra-mega-rich tend to become so dangerous with guys like Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum, and then you know, guys like George Soros? What, what is it that's making these guys go down that path? I'll use this analogy. You know, some of the meanest dogs, some of the meanest dog breeds that you will ever encounter are little yappy dogs. I've never been bitten in my life by a big dog. I have been bitten multiple times by little dogs. Little dogs, little fluffy things that, you know, little lap dogs that I have been bitten by painfully. You know, when, if you've ever had a, had a dog bite, I recall going to a friend's house some years ago and they had a little, um, what do they call it? Shih Tzu? <laughs> That's what I want to call it, a piece of Shih Tzu. And that thing, that thing took a chunk out of the back of my leg. My leg is bleeding. <laughs> and the, uh, the owner is like, oh, you know, little, little Fifi, you know, just, a, just, you know just, just saying hello. I'm like, no, no, little Fifi just took, a, just took a bite out of the back of my leg. For the most part, Little dogs just don't have the ability to, we don't, we, don't, we don't think of them that way because they don't often have the ability to do much harm. But if you take a dog like my German Shepherd, Ranger, he's engineered to do some harm if he chooses to. He never does. He's a gentle dog. He's a wonderful dog. But he has the ability to do it. And, and the, the point I'm making here is there are plenty of malicious people in the world, but they just don't have the teeth to do much harm. They just, they don't have the capability to do much harm. It maybe is the, the person who delivers your mail. It might be somebody who is at the, the DMV. It might be that person who is expressing road rage, road rage. But when you're talking about people of that kind of disposition who have mega billions their potential to do harm is, is exponentially greater because they can affect public policy. They can buy up land, as Bill Gates is doing. They can, they can create companies, um, shell companies, um, nonprofits that have an evil agenda. So there are probably plenty of people who think exactly like, in fact, a professor of mine 
um, when I was in graduate school, was of the same mindset of Bill Gates. We need to decrease the surplus population. Thing was, he was making a he was making a professor salary. He was making eighty thousand a year. He didn't have the ability to do that harm. Another reason I think that sometimes these guys become so dangerous is I've noticed this trend. You know, as a student of history, what is it that happens with? There are a lot of discussion about figures like, let's say, <clears throat> Yvonne the Terrible, or let's say Nero, figures who, it is often alleged, went crazy. And they started you know, slaughtering all kinds of people wholesale. I don't think they went crazy in the, in, in the conventional sense. Uh, my own, my own uh, reading of history is that they became so devoid of meaningful human interaction because they could order their life any, the way, any way they wanted it. They were surrounded by yes men. They were surrounded by yes women. They surrounded by people who lived to please them, who never pushed back or disagreed with them. And so they eventually kind of lost touch with reality. I think, that's, I think there's a dangerous message in there for all of us. Um, that you run the risk of becoming extremely dangerous when there's no one in your life to question your actions, to question you after a talk, to question you. I remember a pastor saying to me that there were a few very good friends who had the ability to say to him after a, a sermon, meaning he had this kind of relationship with them, that they were allowed this, that they could say, were you kind of grinding an ax up there today? I mean, is that what I was hearing? Were you taking scripture and using it to pound on that person in the car? We all need those kind of people in our lives. And when you're absent them, and in the case of, uh, let's say, Nero and, and Ivan the Terrible, the people in their life who could do that were all dead. Wives, parents, close friends, teachers, they were all dead. And there was no one left for them to have to please whose approval they, they wanted anymore. And I wonder sometimes if that isn't the case with Bill Gates. Parents dead. His, he's now divorced. Maybe his children to some extent. But who's Bill Gates really care? Whose opinion does he really care about anymore? I don't know. That makes, you, that makes you very, very dangerous when there's not someone in your life who serves to restrain you just a bit because some part of you wants their approval. I mean, assuming that they're good people. Next question. Do you think there's any comparison between Bill Gates and Elon Musk? None. They're both billionaires. I see a lot of people trashing Elon Musk. Um, I'm not there. Uh, I like Elon Musk. I think Elon Musk, he comes off to me as pretty transparent. It's one of the things I like about Elon Musk. He seems like just a regular guy who does with his money what we all said we would want to do if we had that kind of money when you were a child. <laughs> You can see yourself as a child saying, boy, if I had all that, if I had billions of dollars, I'd build rocket ships and cool cars. Elon Musk did, is. Now, the concern I have with Elon Musk is that while I agree with many of his opinions, like let's say with a Jordan Peterson, neither of those men are rooted in a Christian worldview, not ultimately. They're not rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. So the result is you, you look at a tweet from them and you go, okay, I agree with that. And then the next one is a tweet, you know, about how no matter, there should be no boundaries on two people loving each other. 
And you go, mm, okay, well, that's, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Musk has a vague Judeo-Christian worldview, but it's only vague. So that means, as I have said, um, that he's more sale than anchor. And it means he could go in almost any direction. But at this point, I think that Musk is, um, is generally moving in a direction that I agree with. I agree with his position on free speech. Some of you will say that he's still suppressing free speech at Twitter. I don't believe that. I think that um, there is suppression on free speech on Twitter, but I don't think it's Musk per se. I, I think they're still discovering there's a lot of rot at Twitter and that there are still a lot of people on staff who are doing a lot of things that he doesn't necessarily know about. Now, they discovered some of them when the Matt Walsh film, What is a Woman, came out, you remember? And then it was immediately flagged with, you know, with warnings and they weren't allowed to advertise. The Musk found out about that and fired the individuals who were involved. The problem is for the average person tweeting that that happens to, they're not gonna be able to get the attention of Elon Musk the way Jeremy Boring, who's you know CEO of uh, Daily Wire, founder of CEO and CEO of, of uh, Daily Wire, I believe, he was able to get Musk's attention, probably has his cell number, probably can call him up. If I get suppressed, I don't have the, that ability to do that. So I think there is some of that stuff going on, but, but no, I don't think, and there's another person, there's another billionaire that we need to bring into this conversation, and it's Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, do you think there's a difference between Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Elon Musk? This whole threads thing that, that Zuckerberg has come out with, Zuckerberg is, is a dirtbag. I have been preparing to do a, um, a podcast. I don't know if I will, because it's, it's such a rabbit hole. Zuckerberg has an army of people who carefully curate his online reputation. So it's very hard to find out anything about Zuckerberg. And that itself tells you something about Zuckerberg. So much has been removed from the internet uh, about Zuckerberg, but there's still a lot that remains. And Zuckerberg's agenda, I think that guy is soulless. I don't think he is an ideologue as we often speak of on this show the way say an Obama is or a, a Saul Alinsky was or a Antonio Gramsci was. I just think he's soulless like an Obama, excuse me, like a... Uh, uh, a Biden, I think he's a guy who's just willing to sell his soul to the highest bidder. And so he is trying to please the regime. Probably this involves some kind of government collusion with the creation of threads as a competitor to Twitter. But he's already suppressing free speech over there. It's incredible. So do I think there's a big difference between Elon Musk and, and, uh, and Mark Zuckerberg? You betcha. Between him and Bill Gates, you betcha. Do you think that Bill Gates actually believes he's morally in the right or does he just literally not care? No, I think he, there are individuals from time to time who don't care. I don't, I don't think that Joseph Stalin believed he was morally in the right. I just think, yeah, Mao, I think these were individuals that were just so full of hate for humanity. They postured like they were, but biographers don't give me the impression that those guys thought they were. Now, I think Hitler did. I think Hitler thought he was morally right and justify in what he was doing. That's how warped his thinking was. The other two guys, their consciences were just so seared as the apostle Paul says, as with a hot iron, they just didn't care. And burn the whole world down in you know, Joker style. Or is it the Riddler? Is it Joker or the Riddler? Joker, I think. The Joker. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I think that Bill Gates thinks he's morally right 
And that makes him scarier. You know, C.S. Lewis said, the worst of all tyrannies is that which is done for your own good. Done for your own good. Why? Because Lewis says, those are the people who tyrannize you with the approval of their own consciences. With the approval of their own consciences. Uh, these are, I think Bill Gates is a Robespierre kind of figure. I think he's a, I think he's a guy who thinks that what he's proposing is morally right and it is for, if not your own good, it is for the common good. It is for sustainability. Next question. Why is Bill Gates buying up farmland? That's something I want to drill into um, a little bit more. I should ask my son-in-law and uh, some of those who, who associate um, in his world. He's a farmer. And um, farmland is incredibly expensive in the, uh, in the Midwest. And uh, it's been gobbled up by corporations and it's been gobbled up by guys like Bill Gates. My sense is um, that this is all part of the globalist World Economic Forum agenda, which is to push, and I say it's my sense, th this is what it is. It's just that there's more details to it than this. What you're seeing with farmers, if you're not paying attention, you need to be paying attention to what is happening to farmers in Europe, with, uh, where farms are being shut down in the Netherlands, in France, in elsewhere, all part of the World Economic Forum agenda to create environmental, what? Sustainability. Environmental sustainability. Because these guys, Yuval Noah Harari, gets you know, incredibly agitated over the idea of industrial farming, which is what my son-in-law does. Thank God. They, people like him, they feed the world. They feed the rest of us. But um, these are individuals who want to shut all that stuff down. And what better way to shut it down? What easier way to shut it down than just buy it? Just buy it. Don't allow anyone to farm it. So they're just gradually creeping into that space and buying up farmland. And if somebody comes and offers you, you know, a very good price on your farm, above market price on your farm, and you're thinking farming is cheap, I can retire. I mean, excuse me, farming is incredibly expensive, it's incredibly difficult, and I can retire with this nest egg somewhere. A lot of people are taking that money. I wish they wouldn't. I wish they would somehow be willing to say, I'll take less money and sell to the farm next door, you know, or, or something like that. So I think that what he's doing there is uh, uh, there's a very nefarious um, agenda in that. It has to be stopped. So we have a question from Gay Frogs. <laughs> what is the family history of Bill Gates? Do you know anything about his family history? And did his parents share the same, same worldview? Or do you know anything about his family history? Gay Frog? Gay Frogs. <laughs> I have no idea. Next question. I know nothing about gay frogs either. <laughs> what, what do you think about Bill Gates' plan to effectively block out the sun? <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Could you possibly have any more arrogance? Is there any greater sign of a God complex, a Messiah complex, than that it is your plan to block out the sun? The rays of the sun. He has been investing in um, what are called uh, sun dimming technologies. Com companies, the idea of which is to, is to 
deflect the sun's rays, you know, back out into the, into the atmosphere and to deflect them away from the earth. What right do you have to, what right does any individual, much less any nation on earth, have the right to do something like that that affects everybody on the planet if it could be done, <laughs> if it could even be done? I was reading um, one scientist who said this is dangerous because we have no idea what effect this technology could bring about. No, no idea. And I tend to think that the environmental scare is, um, I think two things about the environmental scare, and I say this as a non-scientist, it's just my own, my own reaction of reasonably intelligent reader of, of, of the news and of what I see going on in these things. Um, I think that it is a power grab. It is a power grab. And uh, I think it's awfully arrogant to think that we could actually, you know, change the planet um, ourselves. But I, I think that Bill Gates, what, he, what he's doing with that is, to, to me, it says so much about the guy. I am going to, I am going to block out the rays of the sun. Who are you? Who are you? Next. Why does Bill Gates get so much positive press with all this other stuff that he's been doing? Well, uh, that goes back to one of the things that I said at the opening. He gives a lot of money to, um, to media. And you see, the way he's giving it to media, he's able to, within the limits, the IRS will let you designate how a contribution is spent. So he can't designate that the money be spent defending me. I'm going to give you a million dollars and use that million dollars to write positive stories about me. He can't do that. But what he can do is say that the money can only be spent by media on stories that promote environmental sustainability, population sustainability, the LGBTQ, alphabet mafia, agenda, this kind of thing. And that's what he has done. And that puts them in his lane. And they want to, they want to please him. They want to please him. It is the danger of any, any organization, be it, be it a, um, a for-profit or a non-profit uh, organization that you're trying to please your biggest customer. And, uh, and we're seeing it, we're seeing it, for instance, in the, in the profit world, we're seeing it with ESG. They're just ignoring their customers and they're trying to please the people who give the ESG ratings. In the case of these, uh, these media groups, it's not enough that they're just simply infiltrated with woke types anyway. But add to that, that guys like Bill Gates are giving them a lot of money and you better believe they do not want to bite the hand that feeds them. So they want to create more stories, run interference for him and say, hey, look what I did for you. Look what I did for you. Can you send us another, you know, $30 million? Next. So all these people from Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum, they keep arguing, of course, that the world is overpopulated. What, if any evidence, are they giving to support that claim? Well, um, the evidence that they offer, again, you can go, you can watch our podcast on Bill Gates where we have in the podcast Bill Gates, you know, putting out, you know, uh, a, a chart, a graph that he's discussing on 
the uh, the global population and why this is leading to complete disaster. Now, this is, if I haven't said it, and I don't think I have, is contrary to a biblical worldview, which one of the Lord's first commandments was be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. So right away, we know this is a godless agenda. We know that there's nothing Christian in this. The, the Lord said, be fruitful and multiply. Um, Paul Ehrlich, a guy who wrote The Population Bomb in, uh, I think in 1968 is when that was published, he offered all kinds of um, you know, apocalyptic scenarios, as all these guys do. The population, the depopulation mafia, they all offer apocalyptic scenarios. It is secular eschatology. It is the end of the world as we know it. You can almost hear REM singing in the background because everybody's about to die if we just keep going in the direction that we're going and we, keep, we do not slow population growth. So the statistics they use um, are often um, rigged to give the particular outcome that we want. How does anybody actually even know what the global population is? I mean, that would be a, that would be a question I have. That right there is guesswork. I saw a statistic a couple of days ago that I tweeted about, and it said that of the world's, and forgive me, I don't remember, I'll just throw out a number, of the world's 21 billion firearms, 46% of them are owned by Americans. How does anyone know how many firearms there are in the world? That is, that is an unknowable figure. You can't possibly know that. that is, that's just made up. And not every country is doing um, a census or doing them accurately or even telling the truth when they do them. So we don't know what the global population is, but I will assure you that whatever number they're using, they're going with the highest one they can get. Or to put it another way, they're going with the highest one that they can get away with. And if you read the first global revolution, which was a, um, an academic paper that was published in 1991, that the World Economic Forum... Um, as part of their agenda and the Bill Gates agenda, they say that um, they've made up most of the, uh, the environmental disaster scenarios that they've come up with because what they really want to do is to depopulate the earth. They say, and I quote, the enemy is humanity itself. That's, that's so I, uh, I think their, their data, it's, uh, it's meant to frighten you. It's like that meter, you know, that, that, that throughout the pandemic, you know, CNN loved to keep up of how many people were dying of COVID. Go ahead. Okay, it's a question here from Laura Lai. It is... Um, I think it's Laura Lee. Or is Laura, it Laura Lee. Lai? Maybe it's Laura Lee. What, what okay. is the stick song? Is it Laura Lee? I thought Lee? that was Laura Lai, but she might be is Laura it, Lee. Is, yeah. it, is, is that Laura Lai? I think okay, so. See, I should know that because you're not old enough to know that stick song. <laughs> I like the song, though. Okay, well, then um, if it's Laura Lai, then maybe it's Laura Lai. So the question is that, you know, Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum, they've basically made their enemy what they call populism and nationalism. Can you define those terms? Because the media uses them a lot so, as well. Say that question one more time. So the, the bad guy for the World Economic Forum is what they call, through the media, nationalism or populism. Yeah. Can you define those terms for us and understand why it is that the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates are so against nationalism or populism? That's a, that's a very good question. And... Um, there's some subtle distinctions between the two. Populism is just simply a grassroots movement. That's all that is. Populism is the people. It's the popular will. It's the, it's the people. And they have um, um, deliberately 
made that into a word that you start thinking like mm, words like Nazi. To be a populist is, you know, that, that, that word was used a lot in the backlash um, of the vote over Brexit, where the, the British people voted to leave the European Union. Populism became a great evil because of that vote. Hey, this is terrible. This is off. This is populist. Trump supporters are often referred to as not just MAGA people, but as populists. Um, populists are just simply the opposite as the, of the elitists. They're just the common folk. And what you're seeing around the world, and I know this because I've observed it firsthand in countries like Germany, like the Netherlands, like France. I was in France when all this rioting began a few months ago. Um, like Brazil. I was in Brazil, uh, Colombia, um, gosh, where else? Um, anyway, all over the world, we're seeing these populist, I mean, the United States, Canada with the Freedom Truck people, Freedom Truck Convoy. These are all populist movements. Uh, I am much more in favor of populism than elitism. It's not to say that populists are always right. They aren't. But um, populists, that, that reflects the will of the people, the majority. I think most of your populists in the United States come from red states. They're just your common people. That's all they are. Nationalism is, of course, one's uh, patriotic, patriotic fervor for their own country. And um, often populists are nationalists. Now, I frankly have no problem with nationalism. But the way they define nationalism is fascism. And that's because um, the fascists were nationalists. They were hyper-nationalists. But so were the communists. I mean, Stalin's Russia was hyper-nationalist. Mao's China, hyper-nationalist. Modern-day China is hyper-nationalist. So um, fascism can take on some very ugly um, characteristics, but any worldview can. And having pride in one's own country isn't in and of itself an evil. In fact, I would very much like to see a lot more nationalism in this country and a lot more nationalism in Europe. I admire people who love their own country. My mother, my mother is a Canadian. And my mother has always been a proud Canadian. She has never become a U.S. citizen, even though she's lived in this country now. How long has she lived in this country? 64 years, I think, now. But she's never become a U.S. citizen. And, uh, and that is because she is a, a proud Canadian, so less proud these days with what's going on, with what's going on in Canada. But, um, but she's proud of her Canadian heritage. I get that. I'm a proud to be an American. So um, no problem in that. Oh, and excuse me. And why are they, why are they, um, why have they made them the enemy? Because these are people who are opposed to a World Economic Forum globalist agenda. These, these populist uprisings you're seeing are all in reaction to the globalist agenda. The, the farmers in the Netherlands and in France who are, are reacting to these, you know, these carbon emissions standards that are completely unreasonable, that are attacking farmers, those are populist uprisings. That's what those are. Go ahead. Um, so I guess a couple of follow-ups here. So one, Lorelai commented back that her name is in fact Lorelai. So I'll take the, okay, I'll take the win well, on that one. So two sorry, things. Sorry, <laughs> Two things there. So what you just mentioned, there's actually been quite a few comments about what happened in the Netherlands. Well, I think this past week, 
with essentially the governmental change that was motivated by the, the Dutch farmers rising yeah. up. Um, and then two, kind of related to that and what you were just talking about. So is Bill Gates and the World Economic Forum, are they inherently anti-democratic? Yes, because they're unelected bodies. It doesn't mean that there aren't members of the World Economic Forum or attendees who are not themselves elected from their individual countries. But the World Economic Forum is itself an unelected body who is endeavoring, uh, who are endeavoring to force their radical agenda on the rest of the world. And uh, the, the thing I've never, I haven't yet decided is who has the greater influence, the World Economic Forum on Bill Gates or Bill Gates on the World Economic Forum. And I tend to think it's, it's the latter, that is Bill Gates on the World Economic Forum because his money allows him to do that. I mean, uh, the, the World Economic Forum doesn't own, you know, any armies. They don't, uh, they don't possess a country. They're not drawing taxation from parts of the world. So they're dependent on guys like Bill Gates who make contributions to them. And probably contributions that are coming out of your tax dollars that are going to Ukraine and being laundered and who knows where they end up. Sometimes I think some of that money is, is showing up in Davos. Betcha. Can't prove it. Not yet. That's my conspiracy theory. Go ahead. Okay, so this is a little bit of a change of pace, but we've had a bunch of questions about it asked on the YouTube and actually were asked ahead of time, I think motivated by the new, you know, the Sound of Freedom movie. And the questions yeah. are essentially, why is that treated as such a, a partisan issue? Why are there so many, the whole child <clears throat> human trafficking thing, why do so many people seem opposed to that being a conversation? What's motivating that? Yeah, that's actually a very interesting question. And it does relate to this, whether or not the person asking it or not realizes it, because... Have you noticed that anything, <clears throat> this has gone on for at least 20 years, that anything that is popular with the populists, in this case, red state Americans, the elitists don't like and, don't like and have to trash it. So Donald Trump, popular with populists, with red staters, we got to destroy him. Um, Jim Caviezel's first big movie, The Passion of the Christ, the left hated that movie. It became the, you know, I think the, the highest grossing film of all time. And um, they hated it. They hated it, hated it, hated it, and did everything they could to trash it and destroy it. And, uh, and that's because it had a message that they didn't like and they weren't profiting off of it. They weren't, they weren't making any money. Hollywood wasn't making that money. Same with Sound of Freedom. But I think of a line from Shakespeare, methinks thou dost protest too much. <laughs> it's, it, is, um, it is a little disconcerting that you are seeing media outlets like CNN and others trashing this film and having so-called expert panels who are coming on and saying, this is exaggerated. This is, a, you know, this is a dog whistle to conservatives uh, who, who are scaring people that all this stuff is, you know, this human trap. We know beyond the shadow of a doubt, I know from personal experience, my daughter Sasha sitting back there knows from personal experience, human trafficking is a real thing. It is going on in a, a big way and it's going on in, in one, one of the biggest places it's happening is, is where Sasha came to us from. Ukraine, Ukraine. 
I was trying to imagine CNN doing this with, say, a film like Schindler's List and having a panel that said, these statistics are all overblown. The Holocaust wasn't nearly so bad as the way they're trying to make it sound. They only gassed a, you know, a few people. They didn't gas all the, you know what I mean? How incredible that they're doing this. Why would you want to blunt the efforts of a group of people who have made a film to bring attention to human trafficking, to the sexualization of children, to the organized rape of children? Uh, Lori, my wife, showed me yesterday that locally a little girl was snatched from her parents' car just, I think, yesterday here in the state of Alabama. Did the, Praise God. Yeah, just, um, Jonathan just, just said uh, they found that little girl. Thank God. We, you know, Lori and I stopped what we were doing right there and we prayed for that little girl. I just felt so upset by the story of um, that. Thank, thank God that's the case. Unfortunately, most they don't find. They don't. And um, <clears throat> I will tell you that in Ukraine, I've spent a lot of time in that country <clears throat> and in South America, and I can tell you firsthand that human trafficking is a huge, huge problem. So a, a follow-up to that question <clears throat> was asked by Chris ahead of time. Chris asked in, about the human trafficking, child trafficking. He said, what, if anything, can normal people do to help prevent human and child trafficking that is so prevalent now, it seems? Well, that's an excellent question, um, Chris. <clears throat> I, um, I need a little time to think on that, to, to give the, the most meaningful answer or that I could give. I think certainly the most obvious one is parents, um, keep an eye on your kids. Um, Trading them up to be wise, and I, by that I don't mean that they they live in a, um, you know they 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 live in a virtual prison um, where they don't ever get out and uh, you know see any of the world. Uh, on the other hand, I think that we can't we cannot behave as we did when I was a kid. When I was a kid, um, I rode my bicycle all over town, and I mean like when I was eight, nine, ten years old, I would be at a house. My parents didn't even know where I was necessarily. And uh, they just knew that I would be at one of the neighbor's houses or whatever, or Miss So-and-so would pick me up on my way home from school because I walked home from school and various parents would see me and pick me up and give me a ride home. Um, these days, you're, you're having to be, you know, hypervigilant about things that, that you just didn't have to be as vigilant about um, a long time ago. Uh, another thing I would say is that there are certainly um, ministries that you can get involved in um, and uh, and aid um, getting involved in you know helping ch children. The primary feeder for human trafficking in Ukraine are the orphanages. It's the orphanages. The orphanages are the feeders of children into this. They're the incubators, the same as in Russia. And by the way. Uh, Sasha was going to join us on the Q&A today. She got a little nervous because it's live and it's, it's a little tough. So we're going to record a podcast with Sasha uh, while I will interview her. And why would I be doing that? Because Sasha is the subject of this book, The Grace Effect, my first book. And Sasha has, Sasha, Sasha's my hero. She's one of the bravest people I know. She is a fearless um, evangelist and... Uh, Defender of the faith, and she has a very powerful story that I think is very relevant for this time. 
And so you'll get to see that podcast at a later date. One more question. So the church, when it comes to a lot of this stuff that's going on, has remained largely silent. And there seems to be a lot of Christians who are content to go to uh, a sort of theology where they can content themselves with study, but not action. What would you say to those types of churches and Christians to call them into to action? And what do, you, what do you think about that? A couple of things. We just recorded a podcast that I've given the working title of Where is the Church? Where's the church? A lot of us are wondering, where's the church? How is it that there are churches on just about every street corner in America and their impact on the culture is disproportionate to its size? You know, you've heard of punching above your weight. They're punching well below their weight. So we answer that question. That will be released sometime next week. This Thursday, just to give you a heads up, we have a podcast um, coming out on Thursday, and uh, I think you'll be very, very interested in that particular podcast um, that we will drop on Thursday morning. I'm trying to remember, what is that podcast about? Remind me, guys. It's gone straight out of my head. We will post it on my Twitter. Um, we will post it on my Twitter. It's terrible that I should forget that. I think there is a type of person who is given to legalism that loves to retreat to the minutia of theology. And it's, it, it almost naturally follows with people like that, that they're not very engaged in the world. They're like people who are always shining their gun, but never use it. They're always cleaning it, but they never, ever use it. And um, that's uh, kind of an odd thing. I've encountered those types of individuals. They love to have the, uh, the, the theological discussions in, a, in a, a room, smoke-filled room with pipe-smoking curmudgeons. But it never seems to lead to any action on their part. And please don't hear me as saying that I don't think the details of theology matter. But I think if your theology doesn't result in action, you have a bad theology. And I think that's it for us today. So we hope that you will uh, subscribe to this YouTube channel. Hope you'll follow me on Twitter. We don't know how long we'll be on YouTube. Who knows? You can follow us over on Rumble and, you know, and elsewhere. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. We're all over Insta TwitFace. But you can, uh, you can subscribe and follow. And I look forward to seeing your comments on this and engaging with you on this. And thank you for following um, this channel. And thank you for watching this podcast. We hope to be able to equip you, to encourage you, and mobilize you. You guys have a great day.